The first cut on this record has been cross-format focused for airplay success. The men beat on their drums. Welcome to another episode of Politics Theory Other. My name is Alex Doherty and today I'm joined by Sophie Lewis. We'll be talking about reproductive technology, the surrogate nature of all pregnancies, the need to reconceive of pregnancy as work and the demand for the abolition of the nuclear family. As always, you can listen to PTO on SoundCloud, iTunes, Acast and all other good podcast apps. And you can also follow the show on Facebook and Twitter. The handle is at PolTheoryOther. If you've been enjoying PTO, please consider rating or reviewing it on iTunes. And if you really like the show, please think about supporting it via Patreon. You can become a supporter for as little as $3 a month, which is just over £2. And by becoming a patron, you'll gain access to extended versions of PTO episodes. You can find the Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash poll theory other. Sophie Lewis is a writer, translator and feminist geographer. She's a member of the Out of the Woods Collective, an editor at Blindfield, a journal of cultural inquiry. Her work has been published in Boston Review, Viewpoint Magazine, Feminism and Psychology, Jacobin, New Socialist and Salvage Quarterly, amongst many other places. Our conversation was prompted by Sophie's new book, Full Surrogacy Now, Feminism Against Family, which is forthcoming from Verso Books, as well as by her recent article in You Socialist, Labour Does You, Might Thinking Through Pregnancy as Work Help Us Radicalise the Politics of Care. You can find a link to the article in the description of today's show. I previously spoke to Sophie in episode 21, where we discussed her writing on trans-exclusionary radical feminism. Do check out the episode if you haven't already. The title of your book is in the form of a demand, Full Surrogacy Now. And I suppose to people who maybe aren't particularly conversant with this territory, the implication to take might be that you're sort of just calling for an expansion of the use of existing technologies of surrogacy um, that are associated with with um, commercial surrogacy. But but in the book, you actually it, it seems to be you're arguing that the so-called natural pregnancies themselves also involve surrogacy, uh, since the notion that a child is just the product of a, of a mother or a nuclear family is a, is a, is a fiction that, that elides the uh, collaborative nature of gestation that you talk about. Uh, is that kind of a reasonable sort of first approximation of, of, of what you're, you're, you're saying? Yeah, I like that very much. There are sort of lots of ways to take it. I think I really like the one that you just formulated. Um, it's a, it's a provocative uh, demand, um, if indeed uh, the word surrogacy is going to mean what it currently means um, when we're talking about it. But I think, uh, I think as someone put it to me recently, I should probably start by saying that surrogacy is an impossible concept in my book. Maybe that's a useful way of getting into it. Um, because 
and this and I always feel kind of obliged to flag up front although it's irritating that this isn't really my idea this isn't really my uh, intervention or you know it's it's not an original idea to say that reproduction has always been surrogate and that it has to be surrogate in order to happen surrogate here would mean you know um, devolved and distributed and unfortunately under capitalist, you know, white supremacist patriarchy, very, um, you know, stratified um, and racialized and uh, made up of all kinds of work that is uh, invisibilized and devalued and so on and so forth. But yeah, the, the so the, yeah, the demand for surrogacy now is about is about really the reproductive commune. It's about a situation where everybody uh, is being taken care of by everybody. Um, children don't belong to anyone but themselves in the phrase of the sisterhood of black single mothers. Or, you know, they belong to all of us, I suppose, is another way of putting it. Um, yeah, so surrogacy is, um, as, we as we think of it today, is something impossible because in order for surrogacy... Uh, in the sense of commercial gestational surrogacy, which is about making kids for other people, uh, it, it, it doesn't make sense uh, in that kids can never belong to anyone and they don't uh, either biologically or, you know, in, in, in a sort of uh, social sense. It's, it's always a fiction to think that um, a child is genetically, um, you know, the, 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 the emanation of or the property of simply one or two people. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, when Angela Davis, for example, was looking at the rise of these supposedly new reproductive technologies in the 80s, part of her intervention there was to say these aren't new. The, this kind of stratum of gestational and otherwise reproductive uh, breastfeeding and uh, housekeeping and nannying uh, laborers has always produced the the white nuclear bourgeois household and its illusions of like naturalness. So surrogacy is nothing new. Uh, so there's this kind of duality there as well. Full surrogacy now wouldn't be uh, saying obviously more of that. It's not saying more of that. It's not saying more of capitalist uh, commercial gestational surrogacy. It's saying what about real surrogacy? And the complexity, as I'm saying, there is also that 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 would then make no sense, right? Surrogacy would disappear as a concept because it would just mean uh, comradeliness. It would just mean care. Sure. I mean, it, it, it certainly, to my mind, when I hear the word. Uh, surrogacy it does call to mind uh, relations of, of, of domination and, and control and so on so I so I, I guess it is kind of inevitably going to sound somewhat provocative to to people on, on that question of, of children belonging to people and belonging to their parents so when we hear stories about surrogacy it's often around issues of, of who the child belongs to and it's um, uh, custody battles and this sort of sort of thing but um but but you seem to be arguing that that all that um, that um, a, a dubious notion of of children as property is going on both within technologized surrogacy or commercial surrogacy just as much as it is within the nuclear family and that it's 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 it's, it's and that it's problematic in in what we think of as the the, the normal family. Yes, I I am uh, definitely positioning myself sort of perversely uh, and in in such a way as almost to guarantee optimal affront to uh, <laughs> as many parties as possible, uh, where I, I'm sort of insisting on not necessarily uh, 
taking the terms, the classic terms of most of these debates seriously. So, the, you know, the in academia, uh, we tend to get uh, discussions about assisted reproduction and reproductive technology in sort of separate streams uh, from conversations about family and mothering and pregnancy and having babies. And um, and that that basic sort of separation is is very is reproduced all over in in the media um, and it, and in just the general public conversation about um, surrogacy and related issues. Um, uh, we're talking, yeah, as you say, we're talking about um, producing babies, uh, and there is nothing particularly proprietarian necessarily about commercial gestational surrogacy compared to the natural uh, quote unquote situation or adoption or you know what, what whatever else is is the way that people come into the world um that that in fact it is take you know it is taking all of its premises from the 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 you know supposedly natural nuclear family it, it depends as a capitalist frontier on the notion that there is something new going on there for sure um, but that that isn't necessarily something we as you know as social critics have to then reproduce and take seriously um, the other part of what's different about the way I'm talking about it is that I don't really talk about babies themselves very much I'm talking about the work of um, holding them inside your uterus and you know weirdly or or surprisingly or, or not that is actually something that falls out of the public conversation um, a lot. You know, you get stories about surrogacy that don't actually talk about the work of pregnancy at all. Um, and Kathy Weeks has this phrase about the sort of vanishing of the surrogate from the family photos. And you really see that in the debate more more, more widely, really. There's um, a lot of focus on the babies that come out of surrogacy, such as baby Gammy, uh, who is the the baby with Down syndrome, who got stuck in a massive geopolitical imbroglio um, involving Thailand and Australia, and a commissioning father who had been exposed as a paedophile, um, and all sorts of sort of really spectacular kind of emotive sort of ingredients uh, for for a, a news story. But I I think that I'm more interested in the collective bargaining power, the self-conceptualizations, the demands, the imaginaries of uh, gestational workers, be they paid or unpaid, and the way that they conceptualize the uh, relationship politically between their paid gestational work and uh, the unpaid gestational work that other people do, and that they themselves did, because all, almost all gestational surrogates have done motherhood. They have done unpaid gestational work before they became paid gestational surrogates. So they have they are extremely well positioned to talk about the relationship between those two different uh, workplaces, the home and the surrogacy clinic. And that that's kind of that's what I'm sort of inquiring into um, the possibility of solidarity um, and a, a common uh, struggle towards a sort of gestational communism that might involve those two <laughs> those two workforces that aren't seen as such in the normal bioethical liberal debate. Mm. 
I'll come back to you on the on the question of thinking of, of pregnancy, whether uh, evolving surrogacy or not as as, as work, because obviously again that that's something that will be that will seem provocative to to, to some people or or counterintuitive perhaps. Um, but just regarding what you said about the, the sort of the disappearance of, of the surrogate, I mean, in your book, you relate that to the way in which pregnancy is conceived as quite a sort of passive thing, that the, the, the gestator is, you know, a mere sort of vessel. And um, instead, you talk about how um, the much more active role uh, the woman is actually performing and also that uh, the process of pregnancy is, is a co-production between the fetus and and the mother. Um, is, is, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I make lots of immoderate claims, as you said, <laughs> along the way. Uh, pregnancy is cyborg. Pregnancy is a problem uh, in the sense that it has an extraordinarily high death toll. Any, any other activity that had such a high death toll, 300,000 odd deaths a year, you know, uh, we wouldn't be treating as something that's just A-OK, carry on business as usual um i also say that all reproduction is assisted as i think i've already um flagged um but yeah this idea that um pregnancy is um actually uh active uh, can be taken in a variety of different ways and we have to tread carefully in general i think as leftists when we look to the biological i mean the reasons for this i think are fairly obvious we you know we know that um appeals to biology ground um, fascist imaginaries, they ground racist ideologies, um, and, uh, you know, they they are, particularly in the current climate in the UK, the sort of uh, the favourite uh, reference point of scientifically under-informed uh, transphobes, you know, and I will get to that in a minute, actually, if you'll permit me to talk about the uh, the the wrong-headed deployment by some trans-exclusionary radical feminists in the UK of this kind of uh, renegade uh, evolutionary biologists sort of account of pregnancy. Um, but what you're saying there about co-production is is perhaps something I should comment on first to get it out of the way. That's um, that's something that's extremely interesting to me. Um, I don't come from a hard science background. And I am hoping um, actually in the next few weeks and months to um, interview some scientists at hospitals in Philadelphia, where I live, who are um, researching microchimerism and also ectogenesis, which is... Um, you might uh, have to explain of both, both of those terms because uh, they were certainly yeah. new, new to me. Um, yeah, um, I'll start with microchimerism, microchimerism as in chimera, hybrid. During pregnancy, maternal anatomy becomes permanently infiltrated by fetal DNA. So what this means is that um, if you have ever gestated a fetus, you have uh, at least two different kinds of DNA inside you forever. Um, and that has now become quite popular to talk about in the humanities as it grounds ideas of identity, plasticity, you know, of the permeability of the human. Um, and for me, you know, it's, it, it, it's a very uh, handy kind of example of the, um, the politics of welcome or unwelcome fusion. You know, we are uh, fusions of one another, but that's not necessarily just poetic and lovely, um, despite 
you know, despite the, the, the title full surrogacy now sounding like I'm, you know, uncomplicatedly just for, um, you know, a, a kind of, uh, commingling and entanglement of of all beings uh i don't think that's actually uh that that's hopefully not what people get from the book uh although i think there are euphoric strains of a sort of uh new materialism and certain kinds of multi-species feminism that do sort of almost uh ignore anything that might be un you know unpleasant about you know becoming one with 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 all other things um uh, it, it's one thing to say that two people are produced during pregnancy, not just one. I think that's an interesting idea. Two asymmetric beings come out of a process of gestation. They're both survivors of their sort of mutual manufacture. That's that's just continuing your idea that that, that pregnancy is co-productive in some way, in some sense. But it, it would be a different thing to say that that's uh, that that means that uh, pregnancy is a sort of symmetrical activity there is we, we have to find a way somehow of um appreciating and making space politically for these uh these ways in which labor uh, does you as maggie nelson puts it that's um that's maybe introducing <laughs> too many different citations but um i take the idea that um uh labor does you back from the argonauts by, by maggie, maggie nelson uh, she was told that um, if you give birth vaginally, this process of labor will do you too, and it will run you over like a truck. <laughs> and I'm really interested in that being a way of talking about other forms of work beyond just gestation. But uh, how, you know, the, the, again, just to just to stress that and to to um to hopefully make sure I don't get misunderstood, I, I'm actually of the opinion that there is only one subject in gestation, really. Uh, it might be a sort of uh, uh, internally agonistic subject. It might be one that is chimerical, but it it, it is just one. Um, and I really have no problem with people withdrawing their gestational labor, despite that being an act of killing um, at any point um, in a pregnancy. Um, and that's something I think the left needs to get a bit more full-throated about. Again, it does come up in The Argonauts. Maggie Nelson makes this joke, you know, that uh, the right to abort shouldn't just stop necessarily um, at the point of birth. Um, and, and she sort of has this bracket, joke, okay, joke. Um, um, but, uh, you know, uh, I think we need to get sort of more uh, fearless about stating that gestational labor is a sort of labor of giving life yes and that going on strike when you're a gestational worker is is an act of death dealing and uh so what that's what it is um you know we, we were very very uh euphemistic and timid uh, i think on that issue um um so to move on from micro chimerism um to ectogenesis although i don't I'm not actually equipped to talk about this much yet because I, I still haven't talked to many scientists who are doing this, but that's the uh, that's the science of uh, gestating fetuses outside of uh, a body. So it's um, a practice of experimentally putting lamb embryos or lamb fetuses actually in bio bags, plastic bags filled with um, liquid designed to sort of, you know, replicate the amnion um which is the inner lining of the, the uterus um together with a kind of uh closed um liquid replacement filtration system that simulates the placenta 
scientists are nowhere near ready to gestate a human fetus to term in a bio bag. However, they have got there with um, lambs or goats. And uh, I am cautiously sort of open to this uh, as a an experimental area that has uh, some affordances for, um, uh, you know, uh, a, <laughs> I would say a techno-optimistic, a critically techno-optimistic, techno uh, you know, critically xeno-feminist sort of like practice on the left without necessarily saying that ectogenesis and, uh, you know, machine gestation is the only utopian demand uh, in, you know, responding to the problems I've laid out, the fact that pregnancy kills so many of us. Um, so so you, that, you, that wouldn't, does... you wouldn't want to deny that there would there may be people who want to, to be pregnant and, and that, that should be facilitated? Yeah, I wouldn't want to deny that. And I also uh, would want to sort of perhaps, yeah, turn on its head the idea that Marge Piercy's no, um, sort of vision of a gigantic centralized brooder in Women on the Edge of Time. She calls it the brooder, this big tank where all of the city's um, fetuses are being communally, collectively gestated. Um, it sounds kind of great, but perhaps there are other... I think feminism has very l sort of, for quite a long time, had a bit of a static kind of gridlocked notion that, you know, we have nothing, that there's no other utopianism around gestation. It's either you know, we carry on with this kind of nature red in tooth and claw or whatever um, that, that tears us apart on the inside. Um, or, you know, we have, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, the silver kind of perfection of the techno fix kind of uh, uh, shimmering in a, in a tank where, you know, we're, we've all been liberated from the need to do pregnancy um, because, uh, yeah, because uh, some kind of supercomputer is taking care of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the, sorry, I was, I was just, just going to say on that, I mean, um, that notion of a kind of pure ectogenesis is um, a cliche of dystopian fiction. I mean, the obvious example would be would be Brave New World. And, and it's a long time since I read it, but I remember there's a section early on in the book where um, you have, I think it's, it's you know, his, his job title is something like world controller or something, you know, somebody high up in the whole um, social hierarchy. And... Um, He's, I think he's showing school children around one of their baby-making factories where the, I think they're described as bottle babies are, are being uh, being made. And, uh, I, and whilst there, he's talking about how um, childhood was and how what baby-making was like, you know, in, in, in the previous century. And um, he's talking about sort of the, the Freudian drama of the family and how horrific it was and, you know, the kind of thwarted desires and drives and so on going on um in the in the nuclear family and um i think i i, I felt this at the time but you you, you do read that and think that that sounds pretty great actually that doesn't sound dystopian at all <laughs> you know to, to, to not have to be uh, be subject to something like that yeah um i think it's probably useful to um to think about the ways in which a certain, you know, a, a wounded attachment to a notion of femaleness, um, biological femaleness, is also limiting, I think, the history of science fiction and speculative fabulation uh, on the subject of, uh, you know, liberating pregnancy. 
there is unfortunately not enough um, mainstream kind of crossover between trans feminist and cyborg feminist biohacking imaginaries and you know feminist sf material on on pregnancy so what i mean by that is um why don't we think about hacking pregnancy you know uh can't can't we make it safer um more collectively supported more technologically safeguarded um you know and just all around less kind of invasive and gruesome mm. um and, and presumably simply, diverse in yeah. the in the diverse in the uh, practices used right rather than a sort of uh, cookie cutter one size fits all sort of thing absolutely diverse in the practices used including uh, perhaps stints in a bio bag um let's think about womb transplants which are very much in the headlines at the moment um and yeah um you know let's let's think about ways to sort of uh make the labor safer rather than sort of uh like acquiescing you know in this in this way that as i say i find quite gridlocked to the idea that it's either sort of all or nothing you know either full ectogenesis which kind of no one quite believes is possible um you know certainly in terms of almost resources <laughs> let alone politics um or you know uh, the the continued bloodbath that that we're actually sort of uh you know just um pretending is fine uh mm. today yeah so i mean um so so regarding that statistic of the of the 300,000 deaths you know, I can Im- easily imagine some people will say, well, that's, uh, you know, that's a, a global figure. It doesn't take into account advances in technology in, in, in the West. And, and in fact, the numbers in the West are far, uh, you know, much lower than they are in the global South. And it's just a question of, of improving the technology. And actually, we're not that far away from, from making childbirth effectively safe. Um, so, I mean, how would you respond to that kind of um, criticism? I can really relate to um, the desire, uh, you know, which is which is very prevalent among extremely wonderful people, um, you know, midwives, doulas, you know, radical sort of birth workers um, who are doing, you know, God's work, by the way. Um, and a lot of them I think of as, as you know, people on the front lines of important struggles and comrades. Um, but I can relate to their desire to to want to assert um, gestational biology um, and the autonomy of gestational sort of processes um, as something that that surely has to be all right, has to be all right fundamentally. If you take away all the shit of, you know, pay, am I allowed to say shit? Yes, I am. <laughs> this isn't the BBC. Um, the, no, we're, we're, we're a long way from that, yeah. The belief, you know, I can relate, as I say, to the belief um, that, you know, if you were to take away somehow all of, you know, patriarchal biomedicine, um, then pregnancy would be okay, right? This was the sort of foundational sort of slogan in a way of a whole important tradition of women's um, healthcare, you know, the, the, the in, in a sense, the, the historical backlash against the backlash against uh, witches and midwives, you know, the, the reclaiming of women's bodies at, off our backs, right, off our backs. Um, the idea that pregnancy would be fine if we could just get um, patriarchal, you know, science off our backs. And I, I it's just not true, <laughs> um, unfortunately. 
And this is why I sometimes reach for the work of an uh, evolutionary biologist called Suzanne Sadedin, who um, has, you know, put a very controversial article out there called War in the Womb. It's, it's not a very helpful title, but her writing really is, I think, extremely generative. Um, and she contends that it's actually quite specific to our species that pregnancy is uh, as sort of bloody as it is. And it is not necessary and it is not, um, it could be otherwise. You know, she says that contrary to our fantasies of human maternal biology as generous, you know, a sort of idealized generosity made flesh, she says that in our species, because of the type of placenta we have, which is a, again, contingent kind of unusual, really unlucky kind of placenta to have been landed with, you know, pregnancy for us essentially involves protecting ourselves against against fetal biology. You know, unless it's aggressively contained, these placental cells rampage, she says rampage, through every tissue they touch. And that's actually been confirmed with people sort of putting, um, you know, these cells into just carcasses, mouse carcasses, and watching them do exactly what a cancer cell would do. So rather than simply interfacing through a filter, you know, or contenting itself with secretions more or less voluntarily proffered, uh, which is what happens with other types of placentas. The placenta we have, the hemochorial placenta, actually digests its way into our arteries and secures really full access to all of our tissues. So this means that, you know, if we were a mammal uh, whose placentas didn't breach the walls of our uh, of our tissues and our organs and our wombs in this way. If we were pregnant and we were sort of wandering along um, and suddenly realized we didn't want to be pregnant anymore or we'd encountered a drought or a war zone or whatever, uh, we could just be like, right, never mind. You know, we'll come back to this pregnancy at some other time. We'll just, we'll just get rid of it now. And there would be no risk of fatal hemorrhage. But, but in our species, very gruesomely, the pregnancy is actually the last thing to die, if you like, you know, it, it, the embryo has hugely enlarged and paralyzed the arterial system while at the same time, you know, elevating our blood pressure and our sugar supply. And it is simply that is why it's so difficult and dangerous to 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 get an abortion. And of course, there have been incredible, you know, of course, there are ways, to, you know, to survive abortion, thank goodness. But this is not a situation that is reasonable to, to just look at and, and think of as okay. Of course, there is a caveat to all of this, I've just said, you know, it, it, Saturday's interpretation, especially when it's um, given titles in magazines like War in the Womb, does unfortunately resonate with misogynist narratives, right? Very famously, um, you know, Emily Martin in The Woman in a huge critique of exactly this kind of language in medical textbooks, um, which was actually part of taking away control from gestators um, of, you know, of their own gestational anatomies. So the idea that the, the fetus is at risk in this hostile environment, the womb, um, because it represents the, the otherness of the father, um, this binary uh, opposition between, um, you know, the, the the male and the and the female being re sort of part of this antagonistic, um, you know, belligerent confrontation that was supposedly happening in in pregnancy, and that narrative um, was actually, you know, 
a key part of, of, of creating a discourse of the fetus as a subject, which has obviously, you know, to date only been ever deployed to uh, to women's detriment, right, by legislators uh, in the US who are coming up with, uh, you know, fetal rights um, protections and provisions, which, which are just anti-abortion, um, you know, mechanisms. On, on that sort of um, conceiving of pregnancy is, is to some extent, you know, akin to parasitism, um, which is obviously, you know, I think probably difficult for, for people to hear. And, you know, I sort of, um, it doesn't come easily for me to think, think of it in, in those terms either. I mean, do you think that without knowing much about the contemporary biology, that actually there's, there's, there's more sort of awareness of analogies of, of parasitism amongst women going through pregnancy than we, than we would perhaps like to, to think? Ah, yes, it's, uh, it very much is. Um, it's a big part of writing on gestation. Um, uh, if you, uh, you know, in my book, I sort of uh, have a few choice quotes. There are really quite a lot to choose from. Elena Ferrante says, I was like a lump of food that my children chewed without stopping, a cud made of a living material that continually amalgamated and softened its living substance to allow two greedy bloodsuckers to nourish themselves. Or, that's uh, that's fairly know, clear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or Sylvia Plath. I mm. felt this black force blotting out my brain and utterly possessing me. A horrible fear it would split me and burst through me, leaving me in bloody shreds. But I could not help myself. It was too big for me. I had nothing to do with it. It controlled me. Um the afterbirth flew out into a Pyrex bowl, which crimsoned with blood. We had a son. I felt no surge of love. I wasn't sure I liked him. Um, it was actually an incredibly rich canon, ranging from Adrienne Rich, who famously wrote about um, the empathy that people in her feminist uh, consciousness-raising circle felt for the, uh, the mother who had um, slit the throats of her children on a nearby suburban lawn. Um, you know, right through to sort of uh, uh, Sheila Hetty's motherhood, which came out last year, which is actually um, absolutely fantastic uh, on some of the, although it never involves an experience of gestation, it, it has some similar sort of uh, rich language on the ambivalence um, and the brutality that is sort of part and parcel of this, uh, this work that we call love. Yeah. I'm sure you're right that this that this isn't uncommon, but presumably there will be you know some people perhaps listening to this will will um, you know might might think well that that certainly wasn't my experience. I don't recognise those those feelings. Would you be inclined to to think that there's um, you know it's a it's a it's a hated term, but is there like a question of false consciousness that we you know women are so sort of compelled and pushed to to view pregnancy as a sort of wonderful wonderful thing and you know this magical creation of life and all this kind of thing. Would, would you suggest that there's a degree of that, that people, you know, aren't properly in touch with how they actually experience uh, pregnancy? Or, 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 is, or do you think it's just a case that, you know, um, that we're highly diverse and these experiences can be um, interpreted and experienced in very different different ways? Um, people are, you know, um, just different, aren't they? And uh, some people genuinely enjoy gestation. Uh, it is also extremely common to feel a connection with the sublime, 
uh, during gestation. And as we know, human beings are many faceted and multitudinous enough in their proclivities to actually sometimes enjoy things that are painful um, and even even annihilating. I can't really comment in a way on, um, you know, on whether I think <laughs> that the perverse mass of humanity is sort of somehow wrong in enjoying something so, uh, uh, you know, so fucked up or, or, you know, something that some people very uh, with great evidence <laughs> uh, behind them sort of experiences, uh, you know, as absolutely horrible. But I would I would say that um, there seems to be uh, a strong case for saying that the pain of labor birth labor is something we are uh, programmed to forget. <laughs> so, you know, many people have had the experience of seeing someone, um, you know, almost have their brains wiped of the pain, you know, the instant that they uh, they come into contact with their newborn or look into the newborn's face. Um, and that, that does seem to have a, a, some of the sort of ineluctable force of, uh, you know, of the, the hormone <laughs> or something. Um, um, but there's also a big social imperative, I think, uh, to be happy um, and to forget the pain. There's there have been some really interesting statistics recently on the sheer prevalence of PTSD after birth. Um, we don't usually think of becoming, uh, you know, uh, a mother or indeed just having given birth, which does not always, by the way, result in motherhood. See more examples than simply the surrogacy industry, but. Um, Sarah Ahmed um, calls this a demand to be happy, which, you know, disciplines and structures a lot of social life in the work society of, you know, 21st century capitalism. And I think this demand to be happy um, is a good way of sort of thinking about what people who are survivors of gestation, uh, if you like, are experiencing. The, the figures on postpartum PTSD uh, are absolutely astonishing. Um, I don't even know if most listeners have heard of postpartum PTSD, but it's uh, it's a sort of it's something I, I reckon um, you know is at the heart of what I'm trying to get at here. I'm interested in not only sort of doing something about the fact that this work is so traumatic, you know, let alone so literally deadly to so many people. But also, what about not forgetting that? You know, the social imperative to forget the trauma of, of gestation in order to cope and in order to move forward and continue doing the other work that that is involved in reproducing the world or reproducing children. Um, what if we didn't? You know, what if we actually tried to hold and remember that? What would be the conditions of possibility for acknowledging that um, a lot of what makes the world isn't just nice and, and in, you know, in Ahmed's terms, happy, but that it was, you know, that birthing someone uh, involved an encounter with, with death uh, or, or that, it, that it was scary and that it, was, it had a certain violence to it. From my perspective, it seems like a gestating uterus is something a little bit like a family. It's a very harmful zone, potentially harmful for everyone involved. And in part, that's because they are currently capitalist workplaces. Um, you know, so so I don't have a, you know a series of watertight solutions and <laughs> policy demands around this. But I I do think that you know if we're looking at this as care, then pregnancy is a really useful thing to to stare at and to try and grapple with to understand that um 
you know, if care is all we've got, there's no reason to spare it from critique, you know, or to believe that it doesn't need thoroughgoing remediation and transformation. You know, it, it it's not enough just to to valorize care or as academics are very wont to do, just to point out that something is care. Just this, you know, X or Y activity is social reproduction is the basic thesis of a hell of a lot of academic presentations. And, you know, my 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 question is, you know, so what, so what, so what, what do we do then? You know, how can we become fluent at good care? How can we make it comradely care? How can we make uh, reproduction, you know, the reproduction of things we want, not just the reproduction of things as they are? So I suppose as I've been, you know, suggesting with reference to the need to assert and affirm things like abortion, this uh, sort of brings up for me the the anti-productive and the destructive side of social reproduction in order to sort of make the world we want, um, you know, we have to be sort of refusing care to a hell of a lot, a hell of, a lot of things, um, not just kind of giving it endlessly as though it uh, were somehow, a, you know, a transcendental good. You've been listening to Politics Theory Other. If you would like to hear the extended version of this interview, please consider supporting the show via Patreon. You can find the page at patreon.com forward slash poll theory other. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week.